Hello and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, it's said that technology has leapt forward 10 years over the last 18 months. The pandemic has seen us be far more reliant on technology than perhaps ever before. And that's been good and bad in equal measure for many of us and our waistlines, especially if you've become best friends with your Just Eat or Deliveroo app. One area pretty much anyone who works has been exposed to is the video meeting. Now, whether it's Teams or Zoom, those very words can provoke an interesting reaction in many people, which often reflects the number of good and bad experiences that they've had on those platforms. They've become very much a part of everyday business life now, perhaps perhaps even too much, as people talk about days filled with a constant stream of impersonal video screens. We even have terminology for the effect that they have on us now. Terms like Zoom fatigue have emerged and are now constantly referenced, perhaps signaling our waning love for these communication tools. But but is it the tool or the abuse or overuse of it by companies or just the way that we use it that's a problem? I mean, I rather like a video call. I like seeing the person I'm talking to. Now, when I have regular phone calls now, it almost feels a little bit weird, like I'm having a 2D conversation. Now, I realize not everyone will feel the same as me, but rather than run away from them, is there something we can do to improve them, maybe make them a little more human and enjoyable for everyone? Well, my guest today is Paul Hills. Now, for 30 years, Paul's been a leadership coach and is a meeting expert and honorary research fellow at UCL. He and his company, ConnectKiss, think they found a cure for Zoom fatigue. Other video meeting platforms are available. And he's here today to share his story, thoughts, and insights into how you can cure this technology ailment and improve employee engagement, productivity, and well-being in your meetings all at the same time. Welcome to the show, Paul. Hello. Hi, Andy. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. <laughs> uh, and great to have you here today. And in a, in a topic that's a little different from what we normally discuss. But before we get into all that kind of good stuff. Can you just give us a little bit more insight into you, your company, and what what you're doing? Okay, so I am now very focused on making video and hybrid meetings work better. So I've I've got a real focus on that particular issue, which has really engaged my mind and fascinated me in terms of the dynamics that go on in meetings and how we can do them better. But prior to that, I was a bit more broadly spread. I was I have been there. In a consultant for a long time working in strategy and then later on in leadership and change. 
but generally working with teams. So I've worked with over 200 organizations over the course of my career and many, many teams. And the emphasis generally has been on how can we do better? How can we form better as a team? How can we build stronger relationships? How can we perform better? So that was kind of my, my background anyway. And then like the rest of the world, I was thrust into this online world um, when lockdown started and just became amazed very quickly at often how dysfunctional the meetings were that I was sitting in. Yeah. I mean, I think I think we've all had the sort of roller coaster ups and downs from seeing relatives that you weren't allowed to go and see and touch on a Zoom call, right? And the joy and, and, and love that that builds. The the Friday night virtual pub with your mates where you meet up and talk rubbish on a video call and probably connect more with your mates than you ever had actually in real life. And then into the work stuff. And I think there was a lot of fun at the beginning, a lot of silly hats and lots of things going on to try and make meetings engaging. But then it seemed pretty quickly that it became this kind of, almost eternal reel of the next video meeting, the next video meeting. And, and yeah. <laughs> we saw yeah, some no. very stuff, different stuff going on then, didn't we? I agree. And I, I there's loads of benefits to video calls and they've been fantastic. And like you, I've connected with relatives. I've got groups of friends that we've reconnected. It's been fantastic. And it's so nice to be able to work at home and go into meetings. But on the work front, I just increasingly was finding that meetings just weren't that great. They would drag on. People wouldn't really participate. I didn't really know if people were listening to me. I suspected very often that people weren't concentrating because I knew how easy it was to multitask and I knew how naughty I was in terms <laughs> of picking up the cricket score or doing some emails in parallel or occasionally switching my video off. And I, and I just spoke to other people I just kept saying the researcher in me kind of came out and I just wanted to know am I the only one thinking this is a bit weird am I the only one stuck in endless meetings that don't seem very productive because I've always felt I've always felt that meetings were an underlooked at area in in business even before all of this video stuff it's Mm -hmm. a lot of people spend a lot of their working life in meetings and if you just multiply the salary cost up I mean I'm sure the listeners can do this on the back of the envelope work out how much of your week you spend in meetings if that's the same for everyone else in your organization, multiply it by an average salary cost. It's a very big number. Huge, mate. Yeah, very big number. There's a professor who focuses on meetings in America who reckons there are 55 million meetings a day just in the States. Now, that's a lot of our national resource spent in meetings. And if they're not very good, then that isn't very good. And it's not just that it's a waste of time. I think it has impacts on us psychologically. In fact, I know it does because I've delved a lot deeper into the research. So it's not good for our brains. It's not good for our well-being. And I don't think it's very good for team relationships. And I could see this happening in teams. And, and I spoke a lot to team leaders. And I realized I wasn't the only one thinking this. We were all kind of experiencing meeting fatigue. People were going back-to-back meetings very often, spending all day meetings. The meetings weren't achieving their goals. And people were, were beginning to disengage. And what's interesting is I started to speak more to team leaders and meeting leaders. And, and I got very, con- the, the other thing is I got very consistent answers. Uh, you know, it, there was very, very, very rarely a, re- a variation to the themes I was getting. And team leaders would say, I just feel I'm having to carry the meeting a lot more very often. They'd say not enough people are speaking and, I, and I'm really not sure if they're listening. And I said, well, what does that make you, how does that make you feel? And they said, well, I don't, I don't feel very good about it. And, and what does that make you do? And they said, well, 
there are a variety of answers, but some said, well, I, I just tend to speak more. I tend to try harder <laughs> because, because I don't think people are listening. I think it's me. So I put a bit more effort in and I perhaps speak a bit more. And then you'd speak to some people in teams and they'd say, our leader speaks too much. <laughs> that's, that's, there it is. There is the paradox of everything right there. Um, and, and other people would say, well, I, I, I do switch off in meetings, but my reason for switching off is that other people tend to dominate. It's very difficult to get to know when to speak. And, and actually, this was true of uh, perhaps people who are a little bit perhaps more shy, more, more introverted. They don't like the competition to speak. And, and they will tend to back off. And, and others who are more extrovert, actually, other people said, don't like the sinuses. So I do jump in because I don't like the sinuses. And, and I quite like speaking. So I tend to jump in because otherwise no one speaks. So you've got this kind of weird dynamic happening where the leader isn't very comfortable with the meeting. Often the extroverts are dominating. A few people are speaking a lot and some people aren't speaking and people are, are withdrawing. And Paul, do you think that that is somehow different to what happens in a boardroom or a meeting room because these dynamics are still at play aren't they in those um, environments they are they are and and i i do think it's different and i i started to look into some of the research and there there's a really interesting academic um herbert clark who did some great work on conversations and i was previously unaware of him and i looked into his stuff and and i also looked into the back channel uh, and I understood a bit more about what the back channel is in conversation. And, and I realized that there are some very different dynamics happening in Zoom meetings. Now, in terms of Clark's work, he talks about uh, for a, a meeting to go well or for a conversation to go well, uh, you need a main participant and someone who's listening, an addressee, and, you, and you'll tend to have side participants who are involved in the conversation, but they may not be directly speaking at that moment. Mm. And you'll sometimes have an eavesdropper uh, or an onlooker, but very not very often. Uh, and I, I think one of the thing, and in a real meeting in a boardroom uh, or a meeting room, you, it's difficult to be an eavesdropper or an onlooker, and it's difficult to multitask and do other stuff because people notice. I know there is this habit of people started to be on their phones in meetings, and, and, and that, that can be a problem. People are not as clever as they think they are. They're not as no, secretive. Yeah. You, know, yeah, you just absolutely. have to follow the eyes. Yeah, but it's more difficult to hide, and you tend to stay a little bit more present. Um, but in Zoom meetings, it, it seemed to become acceptable to me, using Clark's language, to, to, to categorize yourselves as, uh, yourself as an eavesdropper or an onlooker to make the decision that you weren't really going to be a part of the meeting, or at least for some of the meeting, you were going to, it was okay in your mind to do other stuff, uh, perhaps particularly where there was a screen share going on. It was okay to do your emails in parallel. It was okay not to really concentrate. And particularly younger generations love multitasking anyway. So mm. kind of playing, playing to that dynamic. Um, so I think that is very different. You can easily multitask. You can, it seems to be acceptable to choose the role of, of not really fully participating and, and fully being present. And that's very different. The other thing you haven't got in a video meeting is this back channel. So there are some kind of rules we've learned about how a conversation works, which are, have come, they're, they're kind of subconscious, but we know them from when we're very young, which is that when I'm speaking to somebody, I expect to get, there's a kind of your turn, my turn dynamic, mm, but yeah. your turn, your turn doesn't need to be, you say something, it can just be that you give me a signal to let me know that you're still with me that you're interested, that you've heard what I've said, that you perhaps agree it, you acknowledge it. And that can be a nod of the head. It can be a very subtle gesture, or it could just be you going, aha, mm, yeah, okay. And that's the back channel. And that's really important because the back channel 
helps me know that we're having a conversation, but it also psychologically is very important for me. So I get a, a kind of cognitive reward when you do something in the back channel and I get a, a bit of a, a, a kind of dopamine kick there that says, yeah, I'm, I'm saying something that's relevant. You're still with me. It's interesting. We are in this process of dialogue. I get that. I, I mean, I, I would say as a meeting leader, or even when you're facilitating that engagement anxiety <laughs> that, that comes with, <gasps> or, you know, it's not so bad in a room because you're seeing that back channel. You're absolutely right. But on the video screen, that absence of feedback is a real worry. And I can absolutely empathize with the things you're saying about leaders then going, or meeting leaders going, well, I, then I talk more, you know, well, I'll try some more things to engage and I'll, I'll keep going. I'll keep yes. going. You just, you just yes. total chaos at that. Point. Yes. Yes. I've spoken to some, so some meetings end up being one way. So that's kind of town hall meetings. I've spoken to a few senior leaders who've done big town hall meetings and they said, uh, and we got together afterwards and we all had our heads in our hands because we thought what was going on. We've got no reaction whatsoever. We're not used to not getting a reaction right from childbirth. We're used to being in the cot and expecting to get a visual reaction or a response. And that triggers something in our brains that says we're worthy, uh, we're valued, we're liked. And, and when we don't get that response, we're not used to it. No. Um, so there's, a, and a, again, I, I delved a lot into the research. So Janet Bavlas, a professor of psychology in Victoria, Canada, has for, for many years been looking at this back channel and has done some really interesting experiments where she's had control groups and experimental groups. And she has on purpose uh, diverted people so they can't operate the back channel and then she's measured the impact on the speaker's performance and this has been not just in conversations but in perhaps readings of poetry or, or or plays or whatever and 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 the data is very clear if you haven't got the back channel it's not good it's not good for you as an individual you don't feel good you it changes your behavior you don't perform as well and I, and I think that's what's been happening very often in meetings and and I, I kind of summarized it as a, a, a vicious circle, yeah. uh, which starts with no reaction. So the start point of the vicious circle I observe often is no reaction. I speak and I don't get enough back. So I think I, my self-talk starts to kick in. Was well, Did I say the right thing? Do they like me? Have I said anything interesting? And I don't get that reward. I don't get the dopamine reward. Um and I also don't get the kind of oxytocin reward, which is the kind of feeling of community with my group. So I've, I'm also not thinking I'm, I haven't got that sense of belonging. And and I think, well, maybe I won't do so much then. Maybe I'll I'll do less because that wasn't worth it. And maybe I'll uh, withdraw it. So I give less back. And then in turn, others don't get anything from me. So they also withdraw. And that kind of cycle perpetuates to the extent that in worst cases, we're all multitasking. None of us are really present. Some people have turned their videos off and the meeting's gone on for longer. And everything we know about effective teams isn't going to kick in then. So all of the, you know, the great, the better decisions, the creativity, the innovation that rely on being present, having your brain fully engaged and being inclusive, none of that's none of that good stuff we know from management theory over the last 50 years, none of that's really going to happen. It's a suboptimal process. Yeah. And for me, the start point was a lack of reaction. So I was thinking, well, how do I bring that back? What, what can we do in these meetings that will not, not force people, but encourage people to respond and give them a, a, a means to respond to other people so that they feel good about participating and they, and they, they want to have their videos on? I think, well, we're definitely going to dive into that. And just listening to you speak, Paul, you know, lots of little bits of jigsaw puzzles start to kind of fit together in potentially what the issue is. I mean, as a... I'm going to give myself the grandiose title of speaker. Let's say I'm I'm a speaker, right? I know if I'm working a room, 
different to a video screen. If it is having no effect because my content is poor or my delivery is weak, I can I can draw my eyes to another set of eyes. Right, I can focus on an individual. I can talk to an individual. I can move my focus to other people in the room. I can engage people uh, one by one in the story, trying to bring a collective together. On a video screen, unless I'm missing the setups somehow, it's not eye to eye. It's eye to many eyes. And so actually trying to draw people in is a really difficult thing to do on that video medium, right? Yes, absolutely. Really hard. And and it's difficult for people, even if somebody might be giving you some subtle body language, you might miss it because they may be smiling. They may have given a small nod and you just may not notice it. Or they may be doing, they may be staring and, and you don't know if they're staring is because they're really interested and they're thinking hard about what you're saying or they split their screen and they're doing their emails. You just mm. don't know. Mm. And you suspect that, unfortunately, it's the latter and that lots of people aren't really listening. And I'll tell you what's also interesting is that... Um, and why this back channel is so important. It, it did remind me of uh, being on, on the phone and you're on, you're on the phone to somebody and you expect them to respond and you sus- and they haven't responded quite in time. And yes. I get this sometimes when I'm speaking to, to, to say it's, it's the relatives and, 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 you, and, you, and they haven't said anything and you think they're not listening. They're tidying the kitchen. They're doing something else. And, and in, in, me, in me, that immediately triggers a kind of slightly angry response. I'm right. thinking... I've bothered to call you and you're doing something else. It's a personal <laughs> affront. It's a personal affront. It is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and I think that same dynamic can happen in a more subtle way in the video calls. You know, we, we don't like it. We, we we expect that if we're going to put an effort in and it and the deal is it's a conversation and it's your turn, my turn, and the back channel, we're used to the back channel. If you're not, if you're not sticking with the deal, I'm not happy. Yeah, well, let alone lag getting in the way, giving us <laughs> loads of false signals about people yeah. not paying attention, I mean, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff too. Yeah. So, so anyway, I, I, I kind of, the problem became clear. And then I thought, well, what can I do? And, it, and, and this genuinely happened at the same time, about May in 2020, I was doing, I was involved in three other things that involved the use of hand signals. And one of them was I was helping train some lifeguards on the beach in, in Falmouth, where I live, because the RNLI weren't able to man the beaches quite early enough. So the volunteer lifeguards decided to do it. And we had to, to kind of do a bit more training to, to get ourselves ready to take on this task. And we use a variety of hand signals because it's difficult to, to shout loudly on a beach and hear each other. And if someone's in the water 300 meters away, it's much easier to use a hand signal. And they work really well. And we learn them when we practice them. We stand in a circle facing outwards and someone says, what's the hand signal for you're, you're trying to attract attention or what's the hand signal for go further out to sea? And, and it's great and it works really well. And I thought, that's what hand signals is a good idea. And then I'm also involved in a men's charity called a band of brothers a marvelous charity where we give support to young men in crisis and and we sit in a circle and we share stories and we speak one at a time and we're really good at listening but one of the, you know, the rule is you don't interrupt but you can use a hand signal you can use a hand signal to to show that something somebody says resonates with you and that's really powerful and it's really nice to to, to receive the hand signals and also to give them and i also had a friend who was using baby signing okay and right I was fascinated to see the bond that um, the mother in particular had with her daughter and how much they both got from this and how amazing it was that the child couldn't even speak but was able to communicate and say simple things with their hands. And I just thought, why don't we try some hand signals in a Zoom call? And I, I, literally just, I tried it out with a group of people who um, from a choir I'm in who didn't know each other so well and we had a Zoom call and we started to share and, and it just worked really, really well. And we actually started to share some emotional stuff very early on because the hand signals really helped. And 
one woman in particular said, I just feel like I've had a hug from the whole group. She said, I've done lots of Zoom calls. I haven't enjoyed them. This one was brilliant. I feel like I've had a hug from the whole group. And I thought, well, that's amazing. You know, that all I've done is introduced some very simple hand signals. With your goal, Paul, of getting over that lack of reaction piece, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, and what you find is if you have some hand signals to use, it changes your mind about having your video on. So there's a reason now to have your video on because you might receive a hand signal and you need to spot it. And But also you, you have the opportunity to give one. And when you give a hand signal, if you understand the brain science behind it, you realize that you're kind of giving someone a gift. By giving them a reaction, you're giving them a gift and it's good for them and it's good for you and it's good for the conversation. And these are pretty simple things. So one of the most basic ones is just a double thumbs up, a big double thumbs up. So hands right out in front of you. And often people smile when they do it, which is nice because we know how smiling is good for us and it's good for other people. So you're giving and receiving a thumbs up and a smile. And that's really saying to the other person, I'm listening. I'm not on my phone. I'm not doing my emails. Better than that, what you said resonates with me. I like it. You know, keep going. And and that's in itself really powerful. Yeah. So I, I then built on that. There's a couple of other hand signals you can use for reaction. So one of them would be if I just put my hand up and all I'm doing now is I'm putting my hand palm up facing forwards. That's that hand signal um, means that uh, I, I also think that or I also feel that. So if you said to me, I've had a, I've had a, a tough week and I went like that, that would mean I've also had a tough week. So me, a me too, talk, me too sign. Yeah. Right. Me as well. Me as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and, and we can connect then. So I can communicate with you. I haven't had to interrupt you and steal the conversation away because we know that only one person can really speak in Zoom and Teams, but you know, I'm listening and you know better than that i haven't just given you a thumbs up i've also said i feel or i think or i have experienced the same issue in fact there would be another alternative let's say you said i haven't had a great week and i've actually had a brilliant week i can't use that hand signal because that's not true but i could put my hand to my heart so what i'm doing here is a signal you see actually i saw a footballer doing this the other day um but it's quite quite common usage i'm really just connecting with you there by saying I, I hear what you're saying i'm sending you some kindness or some kind thoughts or you know that that sounds not so good i'm sending you some kindness and that's really powerful and i found those three hand signals alone really worked and now look, right. hand signals on an audio podcast are an interesting medium. Right? <laughs> I know. But that but that is why that is why we have the joy of yeah. things like uh, Instagram and yes. Twitter and yes. LinkedIn. So what we will do on the back of this poll for everybody listening is that we will pull together these these key signals and do you have a name for these signals have you got a collective name for these uh, video meeting signals okay great so we'll we'll harness all this stuff so you can hear me and Paul talk about these things and try and make a visual uh, impression in your brain but we will get the visual out there in all the show notes don't you <laughs> worry great. about that yeah and that, there was one other thing then that i so they, they were three basic signals but i realized as well and this came up very very often in my interviews and i have now worked with over 60 teams and i've got kind of interview and questionnaire data from about uh, 600 people and a really really common theme in fact i've got I'm running a session with the team this afternoon it's come up in their their pre-session questionnaire feedback is I don't like the silences, and also I don't know how to speak. I don't know when to speak. Right, it's, it's really difficult to know. Um, so I thought, well, why don't we pass the conversation like like we do in a, a you know in a football match or a, another team game? Why don't or a baton? Why don't we see the conversation like a baton that you have to pass? And I just made up some rules, literally made up some rules, and I said, let's just try this. So we're all going to commit now to 
not just stopping, but passing. So it's my responsibility if I'm speaking to work out who goes next. And I have to pass and I actually give people a sentence to use just to kick it off. They can vary it later on. But I say to Tim, so why don't you just say, I now pass to Andy. Right. And, I, and I'm not allowed to stop until I've done my pass. So I pass to you. Um, okay, so the next question is, well, how do I know who to pass to? Well, we use another hand signal. So this is where the lifeguard wave comes in. And, and on the podcast here, I'm waving my hand above my head as if I needed help in the sea. And it just means I'm just trying to say, I'd like to speak next. So let's say, imagine you've given me a wave. That's great. I've got the signal. You haven't had to speak. And I, I say, I pass to Andy. Um, and then there are variations on that. So if you were to wave above your head and then punch your, your fist together, that would mean you want to build on my point. So I will pass to you because you've told me you want to build on my point. I'm thinking that's great. That means Andy's listened to my point. He wants to build on it. I'm feeling good about that. And I'm going to pass the conversation to you. You might wave and scratch your scratch your head in Laurel and Hardy style. And that means you've got a question. So I pass to you because you've got a question. Or you might make a cross with your hands in front of your chest. That means you want to speak next because you've got a different point of view to bring or a different bit of data. Or you disagree with what I've said because in the spirit of having a constructive debate, you want to put a constructive challenge in. And when I've got teams using those, the debate flows really well. And the conversation is passed. People use them. And, and then you can say why you're passing. I'm passing to Andy because he wants to bring in a different perspective. I'm thinking that's great. And you know you've got the conversation past you. That's great. Next I, question. I, I, in the spirit of it, though, Paul, I'm going to bash my fists together yeah, and try and build, you your point. build on my Because point. I want to build on your point. This mate. works. This works even it's... in a podcast. Andy. <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying it, I'm gonna, mate. I'm going to pass to Andy because he wants to build on my point. <laughs> I just, it's just interesting. I mean, this is a much more friendly way of passing the conch than perhaps in reading Lord of the Flies back at school. Yes. But I can, you can absolutely see in meetings, nobody knows where to go next. And I think. It must do, and I'm sure you'll get this from all your examples previously and what will happen in this workshop we're doing this afternoon. That must add some sort of flow dynamic to the conversation, right? It must it must actually rotate the conversation, allow people to kind of bring stuff in perhaps they wouldn't were wouldn't able to get in there. And maybe back to that thing about one eye or many eyes, it allows you to try and bring in certain individuals without it feeling like being put upon, right? Absolutely. It's really good. And a number of benefits. One of them is that um, and actually people often say, well, how do I know who to pass to? You know, people, some people are keen to spot the problem in the in the solution. They say, well, but what if three or four people are waving? What do I do? And I'm thinking, that's great, because that means three or four people are listening. <laughs> they all want to speak for a start. But then the next rule is choose choose someone who hasn't spoken yet or who doesn't speak very often. Let's use this as a way to make the meeting more inclusive. And let's try and notice those people. Some people I've also found, especially at the beginning, they're, they're a bit self-conscious about using hand signals. So their wave is very small. It's just a quick flash of the hand. Whereas the extroverts will be doing a massive, great big wave and they won't stop waving until they're noticed. But um, so let's try and spot the people who want to come in and bring them in. And the other thing I've noticed is that the team leaders love it because it takes the pressure off the team leader being the kind of focal point of everything and having to always choose who goes next, which is a very kind of parent-child dynamic, mm, really. You very know, much. The, the, yeah. the team leader has to decide everything and 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 it and it, and it, put, it takes responsibility for the meeting running well away from from the body of the meeting and, and one of the uh, the third thing i get teams to do as well as passing and the signals is agree some habits okay. some eight, eight eight habits for a, for a good meeting and 
And one of those is that we, the most important one really is that we see the responsibility of the meeting running well as a team responsibility. We all have to take our own part in making this meeting work well. And it's like the, t- the team analogy works, works well too. I mean, I've, I've played some team sports, never to a very high standard, but I always knew when I turned up, when the team did well, it was because everybody tried. And 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 yeah, and the team talk before would always be about we've all got to, we've all got a role to play. Let's do our job. Let's all commit, and we'll enjoy it more, and we'll do better. And and surprise, surprise, that was the case when we all did our bit. When we all stayed present, I didn't run off very often in my football matches to do my emails at half time or go and do something else or watch the match. And if I did, the captain would very quickly shout at me. <laughs> so wake up, wake up, Hills. Get back engagement. Um, can I yeah, just? So- can, can, do you mind, Paul, if you just pop back to you, you mentioned, I thought it was quite interesting there about people's self-consciousness in using the gestures. So in your experience today, I mean, I'm a self-confessed show off. I don't, I don't mind waving, standing, whatever it is to get attention. Right. Um, that's a needy personality of mine, but how have people in general reacted? Cause I would imagine there's been I guess quite a range. I mean, some people will probably see this as a great, as a really good thing and they adapt it very quickly. Others will feel quite self-conscious. Some may even be cynical. Um, what, what's been the experiences that you've seen so far? Yeah, that's a really good point. And it has been quite varied. Um, it, it does take a bit of getting used to because we've, we've got used to not moving on zoom calls and I'm now asking people to use their arms. And for some people, they feel, even if they've just moved them slightly away from their body, something dreadful is going to happen. Whereas <laughs> as you say, other people, you know, start going for a fantastic thumbs up and they've got their hands above their head and they're waving. And, and it's definitely a kind of a bit of an, a kind of extrovert introvert type of thing, but I have found it's a bit of a team thing as well. So if the team make it okay to do it, particularly if the team leader leads from the front and the team leader does it, it kind of empowers everyone and says, this is our way. Yeah. But they do need to then just practice it. So when I when I work with a team and we have a, a, a kind of it only takes about an hour and a quarter to to kind of to, to train in these things. But we do lots of practice in that hour and a quarter. The teams get the hang of it, and I then suggest that they they stick to the rules, they stick to the habits and, and the principles for at least five more meetings to give it a, a proper go. If after that they don't like it, then let's drop it. But why don't we give this a go for five meetings and see if we can have shorter, better, more engaging meetings? And that's worked, basically. Um, teams have got a, a really interesting call I had this week with a um, company I've been working with for the last six months where we've transformed their team meetings. The team leader said to me, I do really like it, so I find myself going into meetings with people who don't know the system now. Yes. And I'm using my arms and my hands, and, then, and they're looking at me really strangely. But this is interesting. She says, so I stopped doing it. Oh, no. I, I go all stationary. And she said, and it just feels so odd because I know there's a better way, but I know that the people in this new meeting don't know that better way so i have to revert back to well maybe we've all got to kind of take on a role to sort of pass it on you know sort of like pay it forward as it as it were and um often one of the things that i think works quite well in video meetings that's often overlooked is that the beginning and end of the meeting is either taking a break to get into the meeting so having a little bit of personal small talk or introductory stuff and then also a sort of sense check at the end and maybe there's maybe there's an in for the signals and the behaviors here that yeah if you're in a meeting with people who aren't familiar with it take the action try and pass some of these things on maybe 
I, I think so. I think that we do need a new way of behaving. I've, I've um, actually the other thing I didn't mention, but you're prompted by what you said is I've tested this out with UCL. So I've right. got a couple of professors of neuroscience really interested in this and uh, experimental psychology. And we ran a randomized controlled trial in March with 12 student groups. And we, the groups that were using hand signals started straight away to have better, more inclusive, more engaging seminars, which was really good because I, I was I really worried about uh, some of my um, my nephew was having a terrible experience in his seminars at university and was saying we could be we could really be using this. So but but the professor also when we, and we've got an article that's going um, through peer review at the moment that summarizes results. But he said when the telephone was first introduced, we um, we didn't have a word a greeting we didn't have a word so we created a word hello the word hello came apparently it's a relatively new word that was used because we need something to say when we picked up the telephone and i the, the kind of analogy there is we've got another new medium now when we need some new ways of communicating and um, we need to do some things differently and, and i think it could be more overt body language which is effectively what the hand signals are yeah i think i don't think that's a bad call at all Paul, I think anything that brings some more connection and emotion back into it, I think is is good. It's like for me this week, a transition from being on a stream of video calls and networking and and meetings online to being back in rooms face to face. Not for the first time, I've been lucky enough to be doing it for a while now, but it, there is nothing like it. But it is the connection, it is the emotional connection that makes a difference, and we can bring that into. Um, the online world in this form or whatever form it takes, I think that would be a great thing. I, I, I really do. Yeah. And I think let's have, you know, again, I say to teams, we've got an opportunity now. We've, we've fallen into Zoom meetings. We've developed some bad habits already. We're not really doing anything very differently. Now's a chance to take stock. So let's just take stock and, and adopt some new ways of working and some new techniques, one of which is the hand signals, one of which is passing. Plus, maybe there's something else. You know, maybe there are other, sometimes teams then get into, well, let's actually think about how we do our agenda. Let's spend less time on screen share. Um, so some other other really good things. And, and let's use this as a way to, maybe set ourselves a target of having less meetings why could we have 25 percent less meetings or could we make all of our meetings 50 minute meetings instead of one hour meetings and have an extra 10 minutes so we do have time for that little break that kind of well-being break that, that kind of brain brain break and i think it's possible given how much time is spent in meetings it ought to be possible to make meetings 10 percent, surely 10 percent more effective maybe 20 25 percent. i totally agree and i think you know our, our productivity stats versus the rest of the G7 are pretty poor <laughs> over here. So, so anything that frees up some more time or develops some more engagement that actually has a really good influence on productivity, I think, is a is a really good thing. And and just on your research, Paul. So, what's the next steps for that? What what's what's going to happen next? Uh, can people get involved in that? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. We ran a second randomized controlled trial in June. The first the first one was with students who knew each other. The second controlled trial was people who didn't know each other at all. And we put them straight into just one meeting and got them to do some sharing. And we found a much greater level of connection and affinity with each other where they were using hand signals versus using reaction buttons. And then we had a third control group. I'm currently doing experiment three, which is field trials with teams and organizations. And I'm looking for 30 to 40 teams in different contexts to go through a process now of learning and applying the, the techniques. And I've got about 10 teams involved at the moment, but I am looking for more teams. So okay. if, if teams out there, if you're sitting there thinking, I'd really like to try this, then we can put you through some training. If you commit to then using it for five meetings, the team leader needs to be really committed and some questionnaires before and after and a, and a kind of exit debrief interview with the 
the team, then I would, I'd love to get some more teams using this. My goal is that everyone starts to do this. You know, I feel that there is, there is a really good te- technique here. And, and I think it, let's just get it to start to become current, common currency, a, a kind of a new, a new way of communicating. And can people get hold of you specifically, Paul, and if they want, if they're interested in this, in getting involved or? They can, absolutely. So if you put the, uh, I'm sure the links to my website and my contact details are on the website. So I, I would uh, love to speak to people and, and see if we can get this being used much more. And I'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes that accompany this episode too. Paul, we are nearing the end of this uh, rapid and, for me, engaging conversation. I only wish people could see what was going on uh, with the hand signals, <laughs> all very good stuff. Um, the, the area I have at the show where we try and summarise is something called sticky notes, Paul. And yes. I'm looking for you to leave behind your best bits of advice for people to sort of be able to make an improvement in their video meetings from tomorrow that you could fit onto three little post-it notes. So if I was to ask you what your sticky notes would be today, Paul, what would they be? Okay. So my first note would be in your meetings, be present and react to other people. So give them that, give them that mental gain by, by reacting and responding. Second one is pass the conversation stick to those rules I mentioned around passing it and that will help with inclusivity and take pressure off the team leader. And the third one is discuss your meeting values and behaviors. So what, how do you want your meetings to work? Let's kind of take stock and, and what do you want to be some very simple rules of engagement for video and hybrid meetings? Let's take this as an opportunity to, to, to really move things on and make meetings much better. That's great advice, Paul. And you know what? It beats just hitting the emote button on the screen right let's let's have some human reaction rather than a little a little emoji absolutely a little bit more moving of the arms is another kind of nice well-being benefit and there's been plenty of that and i feel i feel like i've done a run um (laughs) on, on, on the back of that today i've really been pumping those arms brilliant paul it's been wonderful to talk to you my friend and a very interesting and different approach to you know how video meetings can get a bit more human and make people feel a bit better uh, and actually something to look something to look forward to maybe that's really nice i'm giving you the hand signal now which is a handshake or a hug uh, goodbye so other people can hopefully learn that as well but thank you very much andy really nice to speak to you and you thank you so much paul brilliant okay guys that was paul hills and if you'd like to find out a bit more about him connect kiss and all the meeting signals and behaviors that we've talked about in this episode please check out the show notes so that concludes today's episode i hope you've enjoyed it found it interesting and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier more successful business from the inside going forward if you have please like comment and subscribe it really helps I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.